What's up, Anchor? It's Lori, a.k.a. Loretta Child, the sex reporter and co-host of the Insatiable Podcast with Smiley. Happy Friday. I hope those of you who have weekends off have good plans this weekend. I am trying to get uh, the latest episode of Insatiable up onto SoundCloud. And so everybody who subscribed there can listen to it and whatever. So that's what's on my plate today. And speaking of the podcast, I have a bunch of call-ins from Lucky who, you know, doesn't come on Anchor all that much anymore. But he did listen to a an episode that smiley was very much into and uh i think smiley will be very happy to hear this okay first i'm calling in about the about the wrong hole oops wrong hole that was a funny even though it was short that was a funny ass episode i'm i'm completely caught up with the podcast now but first off where in the fuck does Smiley get his statistics from? Like, brother, where do you get your statistics from? <laughs> um, but I, you know what? On the flip side to that, I think you might be accurate, too, because on some real shit, like, I've been through that before. Like, and I knew exactly what you was talking about. Like, some, some, some girls get fucking wet, like, stupid wet. And, you know, it's all over the place and stuff gets slippery and you end up in the wrong, like all the way in the wrong space. So, I, Lori, he's not really lying about that. Like that shit happens. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go into the next one. So Lucky is referring to an episode that's not from last week, but the week before. And this is the Insatiable podcast, not one of the episodes here on Anchor or Insatiable Backstage. I was convinced that Smiley was crazy, but apparently now Lucky says he's not. I'm going to add a comment to this segment right now so that you can hear the episode, which is super short. I think it's only like 10 minutes to hear the argument if you're interested. Yeah, I mean, that could happen even not, you know, like mounting the girl from the back. And like he was saying, like you could be holding her legs back and everything could be wet and sweaty. And like, just like you was talking, you could end up in the wrong hole because like I've I've been through that like you know you putting in work you getting all aggressive and it's getting real good and you slip out and slip in the wrong one man yo that shit fucks up the whole it'll fuck up the whole mood it'll stop what's going on like that happened to me like I went all the way in the wrong hole in the middle of it and it was just like oh my god oh you in the wrong hole it's like it just messed up the whole vibe and everything had to come to a cease because obviously it was painful for her, but that shit was that shit was funny. I like hearing you talk about it too, Lori. Like getting all tongue tied there for a second. I thought that shit was funny because like, you're a person with words. Like you got a heavy vocabulary, and to hear you to hear you tongue tied like that, I thought that shit was funny. Like like it was almost it was almost uncomfortable to talk about for a second. And then when you said that you're a butt sex virgin and would you really should you really start it with a person who has no aim man i fell out but the whole like the whole that whole shit that you was talking about smiley when you was like you know you play around with it or whatever and then you just shove it in there man you want some borderline ass rape shit with that bro like you can't just you can't just do that that's got to be a conversation before that happens like you can't just you can't just like you can't just be playing around with it and then, you know, like, and then just run up in it like that. <laughs> Yo, that's that's no good, man. That's that's not a good look. But anyway, yeah, man, I've heard all the episodes now and the shit is fucking fascinating and entertaining. So keep it up later. 
So I guess I gotta uh, admit that I'm wrong here and that there must be something to this since Smiley isn't the only one talking about how you can end up in the wrong hole. So I guess I'll put it out there to the rest of you guys because this is actually an episode where we didn't have call-ins because I hadn't posted it on Anchor. Has anyone else had this experience and do you think it's possible? Um, the, some of the points that Smiley made in that episode were that like um, you could end up in the wrong hole and not realize it unless the girl actually tells you. And that sounds crazy to me because I'm like, how do you not tell the difference between one hole and the other in terms of feeling? But hey, I don't have a dick so maybe i just don't understand how it works so yesterday we got into a conversation about whether people could forgive cheaters and at the tail end of that conversation momac had a great colon saying that the first thing he would do if he was cheated on would be to examine himself and see if there was something that he had gotten wrong in the relationship and i thought that was really really good insight so he's called back in again to give us a little bit more on that Hey, Lori, by the way, thank you so much for the compliment on being sensible. I really, <laughs> really appreciate that because, you know, as a guy, or at least let me just speak for myself, as myself, Mickey always gets me with like two drink and no common sense, zero common sense, maybe once in my whole life in the shit going to be 15 years we've been married, 20 plus years that I've known her, maybe once I got the common sense, okay, but here, here's my reasoning for that, I mean, you know, it's nothing that special nothing that sensible uh the only reason i mentioned looking at myself first is for all of us by the way right that's the one thing we can control how we you know the part we do whether right or wrong you know whatever outcomes we want we're always in control of that so that's why i say that first you know if i don't like what the results are look you got to change the input to get different results right so I actually think that learning to control yourself and learning that you are the only person on this planet that you can control is one of the most important lessons we can learn in life. When people stop looking at things as stuff that happens to them and instead just accepts that things will always happen to them and it's really just about how well you react to them, how well you can control the situation for next time so that you can avoid bad outcomes and maximize good outcomes, that's the most productive way to not just manage your relationship, but to live your life. Of course, it's easier said than done. And with the thing like cheating, it's hard to do this because it's an emotional event. And in many ways, you are a victim. So, you know, you're totally justified in a lot of cases to feel like a victim. But feeling like a victim and, and looking at that situation only through that lens is not going to help you get over it. It's not going to help save your relationship. Um, and maybe that's not what you want to do. But I think the better reaction is to take a step back and apply this philosophy um, and just look at, well, what could I have done differently and what should I be doing differently? And hopefully your partner will be thinking the same thing. So thank you, Momak, for dropping that little bit of wisdom on us yesterday and continuing in that today. Next up is Jasmine on the subject of wrong holes. Hey, Lori, Jasmine here. Um... You definitely can't end up in a wrong call. It's happened to me several times. I mean, I agree with you. I don't understand how a dude can't tell the difference. But like I said, it's happened to me several times. And I had to say, wrong hole, like a little bit higher. Ooh, not there. So it's definitely really common. And I've realized that I need to go to SoundCloud and check out your episodes on there. Because obviously, Anchor is just a teaser. So I need to check that out. 
Jasmine, I wonder if they really can't tell the difference or they're pretending not to be able to tell the difference. I guess in the end, I was wrong, though. I really could not imagine that this was a thing, and apparently it is. So thank you for calling in. Coming up, we have Dewan calling in about the topic that came up yesterday about cheating and whether people can forgive cheaters. Hey, Lori. I just wanted to call in about um, when you got cheated on and that paranoia of always thinking something is going on. <clears throat> Isn't it scary in a way? You pointed this out, how some people are like, mm-mm, you better leave immediately. But when you are in a loving relationship and y'all have built moments together, maybe even live together, maybe have kids together, it starts to make you think, well, maybe it could be this or me. <laughs> you start to think alternative facts. Um, but sadly, that's probably the reason why you guys shouldn't be together right if you can't trust a person it's almost it nothing will work if you the, the trust is not there it can never work it just can't there's no way a loving relationship can happen without trust hey Dewan, thank you for bringing this up because i actually have a lot of thoughts on jealousy like you mentioned in a comment I went from being as jealous of a person as anyone else, I guess, to being a pretty zen person about my jealousy. And a lot of my friends often are like, oh, you're not jealous. Um, they're actually wrong. I am jealous. I do think that there we do have this sort of like evolutionary urge when we feel close to something, when we're afraid to lose something, we have a jealous reaction. But the way I see the jealous reaction is just totally different than when I was, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years ago. Now, when I feel myself getting jealous, I try to separate emotions from reality, like the physical reaction, the, the actual jealousy from what's actually happening. And that helps me a lot. So when you're in like the situation, like you're saying, of being in a relationship, you might have a lot of shared experience and history and kids with a person and you feel those pangs of jealousy you have a choice, right? As a person, you can look at the situation and say, objectively, did this person give me a legitimate reason to be jealous? Do I consistently feel suspicious and paranoid about this person because they're acting shady, because I, they lie about things and don't cover them up very well, or they're always like trying to lock everything up and do things behind my back? Uh, that type of suspicious behavior, that's that may be, that may warrant some jealousy. And that's, might require you to confront the person or to reevaluate whether you want to be in a situation where someone's making you feel paranoid all the time. On the flip side, you also have to understand yourself and maybe looking at the situation you see, actually, my spouse doesn't give me any reason to be jealous. My spouse is always, anytime they go out, they're always messaging me consistently. They're openly talking with me about things that happened to them. They don't seem to be ever hiding anything, me, anything from me. There's no reason for me to be jealous other than an irrational fear that they're going to do something that I that that that's going to betray me. And when you and if you do evaluate your situation and find that you're jealous without really any evidence or reason to be jealous, then that's the time where you need to check yourself a little bit and see if you can get over that jealousy on your own because at that point it's not your spouse's problem. There's nothing anyone else can do about that internal craziness going on in your head. That's all on you. And it's not fair to take that on on the other person. So 
um, what I do is, you know, I, I sort of wait it out. It's very, very simple. If I, for example, see, um, you know, uh, with one of my relationships, my ex was a DJ. He worked in nightlife. So he was constantly out. He was around beautiful women all the time. And so naturally, sometimes I would see like photos and um, I would be like, who is that? And my first instinct would be like this, not rage, but it's like some jealousy, like building up, like wanting to know who is this woman and like wanting to question him about it. And I and and I would just wait, wait, I would just wait it out. I would say, all right, give me give me 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Like I would say this to myself. And if I still feel this way at the end of 30 minutes, then maybe I'll ask about it. But if I don't, then it was probably just, you know, a feeling and it passed. Usually more often than not, the feeling passed because we had a very healthy relationship. He was um, he would stay out late to work and everything. But every time he came home, he was always very just telling me all about his day. He never made me feel not loved, if that makes any sense. He never made me feel like I wasn't a priority. He never mistreated me the way my previous relationship, you know, the way I was treated in my previous relationship. I didn't feel insecure. I always at all times felt like I was the most important thing in his life. And so I had no reason to be jealous. And I realized that I was just being crazy sometimes. And sometimes like I would actually act, you know, by accident, react too quickly. And he would check me on it. He'd be like, do you really think I'm doing something? You know, you know what I mean? Like, and he would be like, I'm not willing to stay if you're going to be thinking that I'm, you know, doing something to hurt you all the time because I'm not, and that's not a way to live. And he was right. And so um, that was like my trick. I would just wait it out and the jealousy kind of passed. And I've actually done an article in Vice about this. I interviewed um, a, a therapist who works with couples and stuff like that. And she said actually very much the same thing. She said, jealousy can be a physiological response. And when you're triggered to be jealous, you can learn or sort of train yourself to identify that physical feeling like if every time you get jealous your heart races or something like that and learn to ride the feeling out and let it pass and she she said she actually said it in a funny way she said let it pass like a burp or a fart because that's really what it is your body's reacting to something that triggered it and it's not rational and if you know it's not rational you should just let it go and um i thought that made a lot of sense so um i think this is an interesting topic i could even talk more about it but thank you for for inspiring to another point that you made Zwan, in terms of like balancing the good parts of the relationship and the potential paranoia that's building up because of jealousy i think what people uh don't often do enough is look at it in a logical way look at it in a mathematical way if your relationship is a net positive as in all things considered the bad things and the good things it's still overall better than it is bad then that's something that is possibly, probably worth working towards fixing, you know, figuring out a way to solve your jealousy issue. If that means you going to a therapist alone because it's your problem or the two of you working out some type of solution so that some behavior that's triggering your jealousy can stop triggering, triggering your jealousy. Um, but if it's a net negative and by that, I mean, let's say you have the best, seemingly everything's great about your spouse. They're great parents. Um, they're your best friend. Everything's just you. You couldn't ask for more. They're everything on paper that you that you'd ever want in a partner. And yet, day in and day out, you wake up and you go to sleep paranoid. You're stressed out. You're checking their Instagram. You're going through their phone when they're not looking. You are acting like a crazy person, and you're losing sleep over it. You're fighting over stuff that's not even related because it's getting to you. If it starts to get to that point then it's time to look at maybe the possibility of 
your relationship being a net negative. And like, in other words, all things considered, it's, it's ruining your life more than it's making your life better. Um, over time, 20 years of, of, of losses is going to turn into one giant regret. Um, at least that's how I see it. So at that point, I think it's, it's, you know, no matter how much you love a person, it's time to cut out. It's time to say, you know what? I may only have 30, 40 years left on this earth, if, if that, because, you know, we can all go at any time. So I, I don't think I want to spend it being being miserable or more miserable than I need to be. That's kind of my life philosophy, I guess. I don't know what you guys think. Next up is Lee continuing on this topic, and he has some firsthand experience with what we were just talking about. Hey, this is Lee from Lee Knows Best, and I've stayed with a cheater before, and it wasn't fun no more. It was hard. It was stressful. It was, I felt like if you did it before, I mean, I felt like if you did it, you probably did it before. So I, I didn't want to be in an environment like that, but I stayed because I put in so much time and effort into it. I just didn't want to throw all these months going into a year away. So I stayed and tried, you know, to trust them again. But it's just the little things, you know. When they go out, you probably like, well, they probably think I'm not doing it again. Or when they're not with you, you're like, well, what are they doing? Because, you know, that's how it happened the first time. So I've been with a cheater before and I stayed and it's not worth it. After a couple months until, yeah, I had to leave because the person I'm supposed to be with is out there. And I'm wasting my time with this person because I'm putting all these months into it and I feel like I had to be with them. But no, the person I'm supposed to be with is out there waiting for me. So I had to leave. Thankfully for sharing that. And I think... I think a lot of us face this issue. Giving up history is so difficult, but it's almost, I would say, never a good reason to stay. Um, And that's hard to accept because this is the thing, like when you build up history with somebody, you get nostalgic and you think, well, I'm not going to have another 20 year um, build up with someone else. I mean, you know, if if it has been that long or even sometimes you might be with somebody for five years, but they were the most formative years of your life. Uh, you know, maybe you had a college sweetheart and you grew basically grew up with this person. I had that situation and it was really, really hard to walk away. And I ended up prolonging the relationship for way longer than I should have because I was so scared that I would never have that connection again. You know what I mean? But that's the thing about giving up on history. Giving up on history is often driven by fear, um, fear of losing something that's irreplaceable, I guess I could say. And, um, and I, I, I'm a proponent of looking at other reasons why you want to stay. Look towards the future. What is it that you want with this person that you're giving up if you walk away? And if that's something you don't want to give up, then we could talk. But if it's really just about the past, I mean, look, the past is in the past. And no matter what you're afraid of, the fact of the matter is no one's ever going to take those great memories away from you. Just because a person is only meant to be in your life for a brief period um, or maybe not a brief period, a very long period, but that period was finite doesn't mean that that person never existed or that you never had your connection take those good things with you and then end it when you don't see a future anymore i know it sounds harsh and maybe not sentimental which is weird because i'm a super sentimental person but when you don't see a future with someone there's no reason to fear building a future with someone else or maybe even just with yourself 
Next up, we have a call from TC Ray, aka Action25, and I have heard her call into other stations. She sounds like a really cool person, so I'm glad she's calling in here. And this is actually about not something that was on this station, but something I called into Reg the Weekend Watcher station about uh, when it comes to blockbuster nights. So it's something that I missed. I don't know if anybody out there remembers, but um, I will explain by echoing what I said on his station. I know this is maybe like blasphemy on your station, but I was just listening to your response to Purse about like Google rewards and not wanting to pay for movies. And I know I'm super old school, but I miss blockbuster nights. Like, can I just say that shit was magical? It was like a great part of my youth where you would go and be like, you know what? Tonight is the blockbuster night. So we're going to go to the to the rental store. We're going to see what's there and see if the stuff that we want to see is sold out or rented out. And if it is, then it'll be like on us to walk up and down the aisles looking at random ass old movies to see what isn't taken, you know? And it was always a surprise. And you never did stop at one because if you're going to go all the way to Blockbuster and rent a movie, you might as well rent three or even four and watch all that shit until like the next morning, you know what I'm saying? It was um, it was spontaneous and I miss that and I don't get that anymore with streaming services. So just a little... Nope. Hello, Lori. This is TC Ray from Action 25. And I'm just chiming in on a uh, call-in you did to Reggie of Weekend Watcher about missing uh, going to Blockbuster or having Blockbuster nights. I used to manage a Blockbuster for years, and I enjoyed working there because I loved movies, first of all. Second of all, I was an aspiring um, film writer, but I finally went to school and did that. You know, got into my film writing. Anyway, the main thing I'm calling about is the fact that you're not the only one who misses Blockbuster. And not because of me working there. Because I, as a consumer, a customer, I love walking through to take my time to look at a movie, read it, uh, walk around, look at the box, read it. Do I, do I, do I want to watch this one tonight or that one? It's good to physically be in the store to grab a movie. So that's it. Thanks for calling in about that because you know what? When I explain that to people, especially people who are in their 20s and don't remember Blockbuster, um, it's so hard because they're just like, well, what's the difference between that and just like going through iTunes or something and like reading, you know, going through to see what's available there and renting something from there or going to one of those like vending machines outside of the drugstores. What do they call them? Like Redbox or something? I don't remember. Um, there's a huge difference, right? Uh, even if you get like the, the actual DVDs and stuff mailed to you from Netflix, a lot of people still remember that. And they don't they, they still don't really see the difference between that and what I'm talking about with Blockbuster. But for me, all of this newfangled technology, of course, it's convenient, but it's less magical because there's no surprise. You're lacking the element of surprise. Like back then, if you were walking around a Blockbuster looking for a movie, first of all, the movie might not be there. So you need to like prepare yourself for disappointment. So the anticipation of going to a blockbuster is almost like the anticipation on, of going on a date. You don't know if you're going to get some that night, but you're going to try. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, hope you're going to get lucky. But then maybe if you don't get lucky, something else will happen. It's unpredictable. You know what I'm saying? And then when, when that suspense builds up, it just makes it even more exciting when you do find the movie you want. And if you don't find the movie you want, then it becomes like a hunt for something that's going to make you as excited, which is also fun. And then on top of that, what I think is missing from the new sort of um, like our access to everything type of culture is that we can now watch trailers for any movie we want to see. And that 
although it's great, um, it takes away all of the magic as well. Because at Blockbuster, you'd pick up a movie and be like, oh, you know what? I heard this was good. I have a few friends who have seen it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or so I caught a clip of it on TV once. I think it might be good, but I don't know. So it's like a total, you don't know how you're going to feel at the end of the night. And when you strike gold and you find that movie that you do really, really love, it's like an amazing feeling. And when you don't, it's like, all right, well, then just kind of makes you want to go back to Blockbuster and find another one. I don't know if we, if we, I think in general in our culture these days, we're just lacking suspense. And that goes for everything from watching movies to going on dates and everything else. Even with movies, like we did always have movie previews, but do you guys notice how previews these days give away the entire plot of a movie? It's like they don't just give away the plot either. They'll they'll literally show you the most exciting parts of the movie that they want you to watch in three months to the point where it's not worth watching the movie anymore. Um, I, I hate that shit. You know what I mean? I, I used to love watching previews at the movie theater. Now... They still get me excited, but also at the end of that excitement, I'm like, uh, do I really need to pay money to watch this now? Because I basically know what happened. Um, I don't know. So, I mean, good to know that at least I'm not alone in this. So thank you for calling in. So for those of you who are doing something mellow on a Friday night, you're not out and you're looking for some entertainment. The latest episode of Insatiable is up. I'm going to make the title of this segment the link. And uh, a bunch of people from Anchor are quoted in it. This is from something that we asked way long ago, actually, about whether you would have one last rendezvous with a person of your choice, maybe somebody from your past, before you got married. And, uh, well, you guys can listen to find out what it says. But it was um, a topic proposed by Smiley, and he felt strongly about it. And a lot of us seemed to gang up on him a little bit. But I think... um, you know, whatever. It's it is what it is. Uh it's an open conversation as usual. And now there are there have since been a lot of new listeners on the station, so those of you who missed out on that conversation can relive it a little. Next up we have a call in from E for Energy from After Tech about uh the latest episode of the Insatiable Podcast in which Smiley and I talk about whether you should have that last hurrah before your wedding. As a little context most of the people who had previously called in on this topic basically said no, they wouldn't take the opportunity to sleep with somebody else one last time before committing to marriage, even if it was guaranteed that their spouse would never find out about it. Hey, Lori, this is E for Energy again. I just finished listening to the Insatiable podcast on SoundCloud. It was pretty good. And I was going to argue on Smiley's behalf. I think... Him wanting to have that fling with a person of interest the day before the wedding is similar to most people that want to go on diets or they're about to go be a vegan or a vegetarian and they want to have that big meat meal or they want to have their giant sugar fest at IHOP or, or some bakery. They want to get that last little kick out the system before they fully fledged commit to what they really need to be doing so although i'm not going to do the same thing or agree to what smiley's doing i do see his point i see his perspective appreciate the content and it's a great show peace okay okay i see your point um that said a diet is something that you go on for your health right and i know that a lot of people think that marriage is the thing to do but my question is do you is marriage good for your health if it's that hard to stay committed to a person. 
Um, maybe, maybe so. Maybe marriage is somehow your goal, and in order to maintain a marriage, you have to, you know, give up sex with all other new people. But in my opinion, I don't. Um, I've never been moved to want to marry a person if I wasn't already fully committed to them. So by the time I'm in a committed relationship and I love a person enough to even consider marrying them, I don't have eyes for other people. I don't, I put those other guys out of my head. There's nobody from my past that I wish I could still be with. And I think Smiley thinks this way and he's not with me right now. So he's getting some unsolicited psychoanalysis. But I think that for single people, it's hard to imagine being in that position of two nights before your wedding thinking, you know, you it's that one last chance because when you really do hopefully get to that point um, when you are about to take the plunge, you are you're hopefully in like a, a space where you're not even thinking about that stuff anymore. You know, do you, does that make any sense? It's like when you're single and hypo, think about hypothetical marriage to a hypothetical person that you never even met yet and you don't even love yet, then of course you you we'll say all kinds of shit about the crazy stuff that you want to do before you get married. But when you're finally there and you think about whatever it took for that person to make you want to like spend a bunch of money and throw a big wedding and whatever and buy a house together or whatever it is that you guys decide to do together, that that thing is going to be special enough to make you kind of want to give up other stuff too voluntarily maybe or maybe I'm being too idealistic I don't know I just I just know myself if I still was looking at other men I definitely could not walk down the aisle because that wandering eye would just be a signal to me like nope this isn't the one but um I mean of course that's just me and I think every individual definitely is entitled to their own opinion but thank you for sharing that and thank you for listening to the podcast and now here is a second call-in from E about something else we were talking about earlier and the loss of or mourning the loss of the magic of Blockbuster Nights. Hey, Lori, this is E for Energy of Aftertech. I know that you are mentioning the no suspense generation and how they don't understand the magic of Blockbuster. But what I think you're missing in this magic of Blockbuster about getting your favorite movies is... I didn't get movies. I wasn't there for movies. I was there for the video games. And what I would like to do a lot of times is if I didn't have the money for the game or I knew my parents were going to get it at that point, I would stake out the blockbuster earlier and then take the game that I wanted and then put it behind a game that nobody would get like Barbie's special dream house maker. And I do that, and I'll be able to get the game later on that day. So, you need to bring about, or bring up the deception. Very apparent. Very necessary. E for energy, out. And isn't it a great feeling when you do get something that you work for? That little thing, that, that little hack that you have to get the blockbuster game that you wanted. And people did this with movies too. But if you did that, it was like... When you finally did get it, you knew you were good and you knew that it was because you had to go that extra mile just to get what you wanted. And I mean, I never had, I didn't have time to do things like that. But if I were to do it, I think I'd only do it for those like new releases that I knew for sure were going to be sold out. But I still enjoyed the mystery of like, you know, seeing what would be like what would be available in terms of like random old movies or something like that. And I also actually used to like to raid the um the previously viewed. I don't remember what they called that, 
but they would have like a shelf where a bunch of just old DVDs would be like dumped there because every time they had to, you know, if they had 20 copies of an old movie and it wasn't a new, re like a high in demand new release anymore, they would just sell them all for like $4 or something. I don't remember what the price was. And I used to buy a bunch, I bought a bunch of movies that way. I still have those DVDs and I no longer have a DVD player to play them on. But um, yeah, thanks for reminiscing with us. <laughs>